When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thank you for listening to this Podcast One Sportsnet production, available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Are you down with the March Madness fever? And check out the Big Podcast with Shaq on Podcast One Sportsnet. Listen to the big guy himself for the best basketball coverage of the NCAA tournament with a few laughs thrown in as well. Get the inside scoop and download new episodes of the Big Podcast with Shaq every Monday on Podcast One. Welcome to Real GM Radio. I am Danny LaRue, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. My guest is Tom Haberstroh of NBC Sports, doing great work for them. So happy with the gig, and I get every once in a while because I'm watching League Pass, I get to see him on TV, which is so awesome. And our conversation starts with a piece that was actually just released on the myth of teams carrying momentum into the playoffs. Have a really interesting conversation there and on DNP rests. And then we also move into the MVP conversation, talking about... Giannis versus Harden, a little bit of Paul George as well, both in theory and in practice, which was a lot of fun. This episode is brought to you by betonline.ag. Use that podcast one promo code for a 50% signup bonus. CBS Sports HQ, which you can get using the CBS Sports app. Yahoo Daily Fantasy, yahoo.com slash daily fantasy or the Yahoo Fantasy app with the promo code POD25 for $25 in free play when you make your first deposit. And TrueCar, great place to sell or trade in your car. This episode runs about an hour. It is very jam-packed with insight and a lot of fun to do. Really enjoyed this episode. Hope you'll like it as well. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me, Danny. I'm excited to start with a piece that you wrote that actually came out this morning. We're recording this on Thursday in the afternoon about the predictability, I guess you call it, the, the correlation is actually probably better, between teams that close the season hot and te- teams that close the season cold and playoff success. And your analysis made intuitive sense to me, but I'm, I'm sure that it will surprise a lot of people based on, let's call them prevalent narratives. Yeah, yeah. Um, these are my favorite pieces to do. Um, it's up at NBCSports.com. The story really originated from a few years ago covering the Miami Heat in my in Miami. Uh, I think a lot of fans were saying things like, "Hey, the Heat, the Heat aren't playing their best ball here in April. It's a bad sign for their you know championship viability. Uh, you know they're they're not peaking at the right time." And I kind of dug into the numbers a few years ago. And what I found was uh, it's a load of bunk. It's it's a lot of BS, this idea that um, that stuff matters. How you're playing when you get into the playoffs matters or, or you want to pick the streaky team or um, you don't want to come in stumbling into the postseason. And now that I'm at NBC, a lot of my regionals um, – and by my, my regionals, I mean just – NBC broadcast the Warriors and the Celtics and the 76ers and Portland. And it just seemed like this was a, a topic for those teams is do they want to get hot before the playoffs? And should we pay attention to downplay or particularly upplay going into the playoffs? And lo and behold, it really holds no prediction power how you play going into the postseason. 
it's fascinating, and there are a few different angles that you can take on it. I think one that you brought up, which was one one that I'm very familiar with because it involved the Warriors, is how those teams end. Because when we're when we're especially if we're trying to think about teams that make it to the conference finals or the NBA finals, those are most typically the best of the best. And a lot of times those teams have lined up their positioning so they can be more judicious. They can throw in those DNP rests for guys like Stephen Curry or Kyrie Irving or whoever, or maybe in certain cases those those players are dealing with injuries. You know, like so last year, the Warriors were were really disjointed because Steph Curry was out. And so th- that is one element of this that I think is important is the idea that some teams, especially at the top, are better than they look in the, yeah. at the end of it, just more broadly. Yeah. And like Kyrie Irving the other day said, I'm definitely taking some days off here uh, uh, to rest. It makes no sense. Like he just straight out said it like he wasn't hiding anything. Uh, saying, I, I think it's makes no sense to be playing through, you know, wear and tear if you can be resting up for the playoffs. And I think a lot of fans are not used to hearing that kind of candidness from their superstar who is basically saying these regular season games don't matter. Like the wins and losses at the end of the season don't matter nearly as much as being healthy in the postseason. And so I actually dug in, uh, looked at this century, so the last oh, 18 postseasons, and I looked at the top two seats. Uh, so it kind of it's one proxy for championship contenders. And what I found, Danny, was that you had a higher correlation with postseason success looking at the first 10 games of the season, the record in those games, than you do in the final 10 games of the season. So the teams that come in hottest into the postseason also do not perform any better than the teams that are coldest. You put the coldest teams, the coldest championship contenders, the top two seeds in a bucket, and you put the hottest teams going 9-1 and or better or 10-0 and or 11-0 and going into the postseason, those teams, the hot ones, the ones that everyone feels like are peaking at the right time and, and playing their best basketball, actually fared no better than the teams that were stumbling or had a losing record going into the playoffs. And so I think it has a lot of um, – Uh, lessons for us as media uh checking ourselves when we make picks when we talk to people about you know at the cocktail party or whether it's talking on air you know we're gonna be asked hey the spurs are playing amazing basketball do you think that they're gonna be you know surprise teams in the postseason and of all teams to talk about the spurs know better than anybody because they like to do the dnp rest or popovich was a pioneer in this sense and they've been historically they've had some really streaky teams going into the postseason and they've fallen flat on their face um you know against OKC I think they were riding a 21 game win streak and then they lost four straight and they were out in 2012 um to the Thunder and then there was I think 2004 I want to say another streaky team and it just goes to show that like we we want to believe in the idea of momentum that what we're watching has some sort of you know heat to it or coldness to it that it you know there's a hot hand or a cold hand and that there's no such thing as a switch but unfortunately for fans and for coaches i think there is something to the idea of the switch in the sense that uh teams 
what matters most is being healthy, and it's something I didn't really mention too much in this story, but I should mention here is matchups. Like if you have a particularly bad matchup in a, in a series, that's going to matter a whole lot more than what you did a week ago. It makes sense that talent wins out, that health wins out, and so the teams that can that can manage those circumstances, even if it comes at the expense of a few wins, will be better situated. And bringing up the first 10 versus the last 10 tied in with something, when I read it, my first thought went to something that Nate and I have discussed on Dunked On a few times, which is this idea of it's better to play bad teams, or at least teams that are unsuccessful, late in the year as opposed to early in the year. Because early in the year, everyone's trying, coaches are putting mm-hmm. out their best lineups everybody's incentives are in line you know you know it's kind of like the idea of everybody has a chance to make the playoffs on the first day of the season that's sort of an idea so you're you know maybe it's not there are teams that figure it out there are certainly many teams that are better late in the season than earlier but you're getting largely healthy opponents because teams manage that during the during the preseason and all that kind of stuff and you're not getting the discretionary decisions so that can be you know justifiable things like a player who's hurt and gets a surgery because the team is out or it can be dnp rest it can be all those sorts of things. So the representative sample is actually really different. And especially if you're playing teams at the bottom end, those, you know, like playing, let's, let's, not that I'm trying to hit on them particularly hard, but let's say playing the New Orleans Pelicans, playing them in October and this year due to what happened, playing them in April or late March are two very different things. And so if you are going to try to evaluate, oh, this team's figured it out because they won those games, you also need to figure out who they played and where those teams are in their process. And as, as you, you and I both talked about this over the years, also the idea of like cumulative fatigue and rest advantages and all those sorts of things. And that context almost always gets stripped away when people talk about who's hot and who's not. Yeah, it's a great point. And I think when you also examine uh, like Devin Booker right now, I think I saw a stat that um, like six of his eight uh, 50 point games, basically most of his high scoring games are coming in March. And uh, now we're seeing LeBron play non-back-to-backs. By the way, he apparently was not allowed to fly to Chris Bosh's retirement ceremony because he said he was getting a lot of heat from the league office. So he played, what was it, against, uh, it was against, who was it the other day? Um, why am I blanking at? He played Utah the following night, but he didn't play against uh, he didn't. He didn't go over to see uh, Chris Bosh's retirement ceremony. He had a back to back, and he sat the next night of the back to back in Utah. And I was like, wait, why couldn't he have just gone to the the retirement ceremony for Chris Bosh, and then the following night just played the Utah game? But anyway, the the idea is there's going to be a lot of DNP rest happening. Kyrie Irving said it. You see, with Anthony Davis sitting fourth quarters or sitting back to backs, LeBron James sitting on back to backs. And while the Pelicans and the Lakers are not in playoff contention, I think the overriding problem right here is that April basketball is is just kind of exhibition. It's veering towards exhibition because teams are resting their stars for the playoffs. And then you have on the opposite side teams that are tanking where they're going to shut down, in my opinion – more like you can't really prove this, but more likely to err on the side of caution when it comes to injuries and shut quote unquote shut down players. Uh, you're seeing it in Minnesota. Um, you're seeing it in Chicago, where maybe it's legit that these players need to be out for at least two more weeks to three more weeks of the season. But I think you're going to see a lot more exhibition style games where teams are just not going to be trying as hard to win. Plenty more to talk about with Tom Haverstrow, but first a message from BetOnline.ag. March Madness is off to another wild start with 
a great first two rounds of the tournament, and now we're down to the Sweet 16. The hashtag Sportsnet Bracket Challenge, presented by BetOnline.ag, continues as we compete against other podcast Sportsnet shows. Beyond that, it's pretty awesome. BetOnline.ag is doing a $25,000 Sweet 16 Bracket Challenge. You can check that out on the site. And if you want to get in on all the action, sign up today for a free account at BetOnline.ag and use that Podcast One promo code for a 50% welcome bonus. Really excited to see... The, the best, the best. I mean, the, the upside of a very chalky first two rounds is that you have a lot of great teams going at it. We're going to see some challenges for Duke, though they got plenty of challenge from UCF and a lot of good draft prospects. This is more of an NBA podcast, so you can see a lot of those players as well who are going to be in the NBA over the next year or two. And don't worry, even if your bracket is already busted, the fun continues each week as you'll have a chance to win money on your betonline.ag account. And also they have in-game betting, which is an engaging way if you're if you're watching one to if you think you have a read on it, you can check that out as well. So check out the hashtag Sportsnet Bracket Challenge presented by BetOnline.ag. Also that $25,000 Sweet 16 bracket thing that you can enter. And use the promo code PODCAST1 for a 50% welcome bonus. BetOnline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. We also have a message from CBS Interactive. As you know, we are in the heart of one of the greatest sports events on the calendar. You guessed it, March Madness. And the best place to stay on top of all the NCAA tournament coverage is CBS Sports HQ. What is CBS Sports HQ? It is the free 24-hour sports network that is built for fans just like you and me. It it fits in beautifully, not only with the sports world, but also with listeners of this podcast, because you don't get any of the hot takes, fake debates, like on other sports networks, just the stuff that matters, nonstop highlights, news and analysis, no matter when you tune in. And if you enjoy playing fantasy or placing some bets, just talked about that, their experts are always dishing out picks that can help you win. And for somebody who doesn't watch a ton of college basketball before the tournament, very useful. So check out CBS Sports HQ. It is always on and always free. No need to pay a subscription fee or have an expensive cable package. Just download the CBS Sports app on your phone, Fire TV, Roku, or Apple TV to start watching today. It also brings to mind a really important challenge that the league, I I think that there is no remedy for it. And I know that part of what they were going for with lottery reform was this idea is that even if you reduce the incentives in certain cases, let's say of tanking, there are still incentives, you know, like, because once you, once you take the playoffs off the table and especially for an ownership group, or let's say a coach that feels stable in their job, well, even a modest incentive is still better than nothing the other way, you know, and the mentality of it being an exhibition, you know, being that approach of, hey, we're looking at the long game here. It's impossible to shake that because they're, that's the way that they should be thinking. You know, like, why incentivize putting extra miles on the tires? And I've heard people, you know, draw the analogy of, oh, you bought a ticket and you expected LeBron James to play. I think that the analogy here, and, and it's funny because I've always thought of sports, you know, as they are competition and all that. It's an entertainment product. And the example here would be if you go to a theater performance, yes. you do not have a guarantee that actor or actress X is going to be on the stage for that show. You might have a reasonable expectation. Maybe you choose to go to a certain show rather than another one because, you know, maybe understudies do more often, but there is no guarantee on that ticket. If you want to go to wrestling, the card is always subject to change. All of those sorts of days, yep. UFC, I mean, guys get hurt, you know, it, it happens or ladies get hurt. I mean, 
while it's weird in this circumstance that it's so much more discretionary and in a lot of other, especially competition based things, it's more, they can't play. So they won't. I think that's a mentality shift that needs to happen is to think about the NBA as an entertainment product. And I understand, you know, especially when teams only come to an arena once that you have this hope and expectation that you're going to get to see your favorite star play. And you can have that expectation, but expectation and certainty are not the same thing. And so you might go, oh, that'll make fans less interested. And I, and my answer would be, I think fans should think about this honestly. And yeah, you can still be disappointed. I have no problem with you being disappointed. But the reality is these teams have complicated decisions to make here yeah. and they can't prioritize the fan experience because the fans would, wouldn't like it if the, if they did the opposite and they lost, let's say a guy got hurt and they lost games later on because of it. Yeah, and it, you know, I think the NBA, you have to remember when the NBA started, there was no opportunity for fans in Milwaukee to see Larry Bird but once a, once a year, right? I'm not saying Larry Bird was around when the NBA started in the 50s, but the whole, the whole idea of, of playing every team at least once in their arena was like, hey, there's no league pass, there's no internet. There's no way for me to follow or, or watch a particular player. If George Mikan was coming through, that was my one opportunity a year, not just to read about him, but to see him in the flash. And that was a different time. Now we have so much access to players. We watch them on League Pass. We see them on TMZ. We see them on Instagram. We see them on their Twitter feeds. We have so much access to these players now that I think it re- reduces the in-arena um you know, scarcity of like, like the other day, Kevin Durant came to Orlando uh, or the Warriors came to Orlando and it was the only time that they were going to play in Orlando this season and Kevin Durant rested. And there are rules. And I wrote about this in the piece today is that the, the Adam Silver has rules in the league memos that says it is against the rules to be resting uh, players on the road. If you're going to rest players, please do it at home not do it on the road. And in this case, Kevin Durant resting against Orlando in Orlando, the only game that that fans would be able to see Kevin Durant would seem like a direct violation of that rule in 2017. But um, as far as I know, the the Warriors were okay to do that. They weren't fined. There wasn't this $100,000 penalty like we kept hearing about with Anthony Davis. But I think the optics are the play here, the optics of the league doing something about it and sending out this legislation saying this is not okay to rest all these guys on national TV games uh, and on the road. And if you're going to do it, do it at home. Uh, We're still seeing teams do it. And I think from executives and and coaches, they wonder the efficacy. they, They wonder how effective that legislation is when LeBron James is resting at Utah and Kevin Durant is resting at Orlando? Like, are those rules actually being enforced? Along those lines, I I hadn't thought about this until you brought it up, but thinking about how the league put the thumb on the scale, if they encouraged or whatever him to play in the game against Washington and, and not to, and and theoretically he wasn't going to play in the back-to-back, the game against Washington on the Tuesday, on the day Bosch's jersey was retired, that was a home game and the Utah game was a road game. So that's the league probably, if, if they said something about, hey, you need to play in this, that was them violating their own edict. And I mean, I don't want to get big, big picture public policy here, though I have a background in it, but most rules and restrictions in, in long-term behavior, 
what is important in terms of dictating that behavior is whether the enforcement actually happens. Because you can set all sorts of laws in place, uh, and, and certain times they can actually work. Like there's an example here of like their unenforceable contracts, like let's say on a parking on a parking pass that you have or something like that. And theoretically, you could take it to court and you could beat it. And people, but it changes people's behavior because they don't think they can win and all that sort of stuff. But realistically, if teams think the league isn't going to punish them, then they are not going to abide by that. And so while the words mean something, the deeds are far more important. Yeah. And, you know, I think, I think we write about DNP rest or we talk about load management or healthy scratches a lot more than they actually happen. I mean, if you look at, you know, the number of stars that play every, every single night, it's, it's probably higher than what I'm making it out to be. But I think the, the perception that the regular season doesn't, I mean, we had last year and this was one of the biggest reasons why I wrote this piece today is last year, the Warriors lost by 40 points in the final game of the season. Steph Curry rested and Kevin Durant, Draymond Green and Klay Thompson all played and they got their uh, tails beat. I mean, they got their, I don't know if I can swear on this, but it was like, they got destroyed. It was the worst, worst loss of Steve Kerr's uh, tenure with the, with the Warriors and he just said it after the game. It was like, you know what? None of this matters. Like the, the, we, we only won 58 games a season. Fans are going to be upset about that because it's below expectations. But really, none of it matters. It's a new season. And I find this refreshing to hear from Kyrie Irving and from LeBron James and Greg Popovich just spelling it out. Greg Popovich saying, why should I play this guy one game if it might risk you know, years on his career? You know, like, Would you rather see this guy play at his best in March? or at his best in June. And that argument makes a lot of sense if you're trying to maximize winning and performance. But if you're trying to maximize entertainment, it's a, and business-wise, it's a little bit different. Um, so there is this kind of, the league wants all the players to play every game as the best of their ability, but they also recognize that this schedule is grinding. It's a grind. Um, and it's probably, if they were going to decide today, let's scrap the season, let's just not pick 82 for the regular season and just say, hey, how many are we going to play this year? I'm, I doubt that all the scientists or the business folks would say, you know what, 82 is the sweet spot. Um, yeah. And so I think we're going to a place in the NBA where I think Adam Silver has been open to the idea of cutting games if it means they can uh, in- implement maybe a cash grab in the middle of the season for a regular season tournament, um, midseason tournament. But I think that he's softening on this idea of 82, and I think we're, we need to get to that place where teams aren't incentivized to rest their guys in April um, because this it's not a good product. And I think generally in the long term, it will it will be um, you know hurtful for the product if if fans show up not really expecting these guys to go hard. There are a couple other benefits that would be in place if the league dramatically reduced the number of games. I've said before that the the target should be everyone plays everyone twice. And now I would expand the yes. number of teams a little bit. So somewhere in the low 60s, I think would be... And, and also important to note, and not shorten the length of the, se- the, the, the amount of time that the season is played. So that would be playing 60, let's say 64 games in the same period of time that we're currently playing 82. Because if you shorten the duration of the season as well, then you have the same problems. <laughs> then you still have back-to-backs and all that. And and the other part that I want to mention here that I think gets and, – and I wish I had a detailed accounting. And if anybody has it, if you whether that is through public means or if you want to leak it to me in this narrow circumstance, I'm okay with that. My belief is that the revenue side of this from the NBA's perspective – 
is actually not as strong as some think. Because you could, with a, let's say a 64-game schedule, you could easily construct something that completely fulfills the national TV contract. That would not be a problem. You might actually right. have the best teams on a little bit less frequently because there are certain rules about how often a team can be on, and I, and they might want to, maybe you change those a little bit, but I think you'd be there. But you can still fulfill that contract. And yeah, you lose a little bit from the local rights contracts and then gate revenue and all that. But my understanding of if we're talking profit and revenue, those aren't nearly as big a drivers as the big TV contracts. And so if you can keep that untouched, then yeah, you're going to take some off the table, but I don't think you're taking nearly as much. And remember that half of those cuts go to the players. So owners aren't really losing that much. And if, if players are like, we're not going to lose a dime, then that then that's a challenge too. I mean, we're, one of the big questions here is which side is of, of the rope, let's call the owners and players each side, are they pulling the same direction or are they not? And my hope is that everybody has an honest conversation about where the ideal place is and what would really be sacrificed if that happened. And, and then, of course, what would be gained? Yeah, I, I push back on the hypothesis that a 20% reduction in games equals a 20% reduction in revenue. And I think you're on, on the same wavelength here. Um, because I, I just think that uh, when you look at the NFL, I don't think the NBA should go to a 16-game season. But this idea, and I, I've talked to Daryl Morey about this too, the GM of the Houston Rockets, this idea that the the NFL would be uh, a money making machine if they played 82 games a year is ludicrous. You know, like more is not always more. Um, there is a law of diminishing returns with these players, and I think 82 is past that point. Yes, they fly on these private jets. Yes, they sleep at the Ritz Carlton in the Four Seasons. Um, but I think what you're what you're getting is pl- uh, a lot more medical information saying that like, hey, if LeBron James plays. Even though it wasn't a back-to-back, his groin, his sensitivity right now, um, his risk for injury is elevated. And it's not worth the risk to play him even though he didn't play on a back-to-back. Um, and that's why he missed the Saturday ABC game. And the, the, the team, the Lakers, put it out saying DNP load management. And that is interesting because they could have just said groin injury and, you know, like return to play groin injury or whatever it is. But they decided to just say load management on a Saturday ABC game, uh, which seemed like clear violation of the rules. But from what I gather, they uh, made a mistake and the league talked to them and said, you need to actually put the injury that he was returning from, that he is managing his load from, the groin, and then we're okay. Um, but really what we're getting down to is that for the best players, 82 is way too much. It's way too much. Um, if you want the best version of Giannis Antetokounmpo or the best version of James Harden, it's probably closer to 60 games. So let's just do it. Um, and that's what this article is speaking to is uh, I know fans are going to be upset about, uh, hey, Kyrie Irving's skipping this game or Gordon Hayward's going to be skipping this game, Kawhi Leonard or Anthony Davis. But I think in the long run, this is smart. And in the playoffs, it is smart too because momentum is a myth. It is overrated in a lot of respects in life. Uh, we don't like to believe in the idea that streaks are not real, um, that my diet, because I've, I've run three days in a row, that suddenly I'm a new person. Uh, it's usually the diet doesn't work out and, you know, it's just hard to maintain, uh, those, those hot streaks. And for, for the Philadelphia 76ers last year, what was more important that they won 16 games to finish the season in a row or that Joel Embiid was healthy. 
The answer is that Joel Embiid was healthy. And I think a lot of teams would be wise to make sure that their players are healthy, are healthiest as can be going into the postseason. So a Yusuf Nurkic thing doesn't happen or a CJ McCollum d- doesn't happen and completely not just derail the season, but potentially derail the, free, the future of the franchise where Paul Allen passes away, the ownership issues there. Uh, and now there's some serious question marks about the future of Damian Lillard. He's going to say all the right things now, but if they get swept again and he has to look at his organization and watch all the, the his friends in the league, the other stars moving, I think the DNP rest question rises to the surface again is why am I putting my body through all this in Portland um, when I just I, I want to maximize my window here as a star player and I don't know if I should do it here. Yeah, these questions do really all run together, and and the agency that players are exhibiting is it. I, I think bringing up the where is an interesting way of doing it. But then the also the other part of it is also, and I mean Durant is a good example here. LeBron James is, of course, as well. He's the I would say the the kind of the forerunner of all this is the idea of being able to contribute on a great team when you're still at your best. Now, the, I you know like there are people who malign ring chasing for veteran players and all that type of stuff, but for me, like thinking about it, if I could put my shoes in the the put my feet in the shoes of somebody who is good enough to be an NBA caliber player, to me it would be substantially more fulfilling to at least be in the mix or to to win a title, win a Finals MVP, however we're going to say it, when I'm a huge part of that team, as opposed to like, hey, I'm the twelfth man and this team won a title, isn't that cool? And <laughs> I'm totally I, I'm supportive. Well, first of all, I'm supportive of players using the power that they have to go for whatever they prioritize. If that's money, more power to them. If that's playing on a better team in a city, they like whatever they want to do. That's, that's something that they've leveraged. I actually wish they had that ability a little bit earlier in the process. We could talk about that at a different time, but, (laughs) but that I, I think that there are some people who are, who are outraged by that and, and whatever. I, I think that the, the other important thing here is remember how these circumstances start. A player gets drafted by, they have no real authority. Maybe they can do some things with medical records and all that in the process. And that team gets them for, let's call it eight years. It doesn't have to be rigidly eight years. Yeah. The first four of those years, if they're good on a below market contract, maybe the later stuff, depending on, I mean, depending on what contract they sign, below market as well. So yeah, they don't get them for their whole career, boo-hoo. But there isn't a whole lot of merit or ju- or justice or fairness involved with how these players end up on their first teams in the first place. Yeah, I mean we're we're uh, you know we're talking about you know tanking at the, the how the the end of the regular season isn't uh, the competition is not at its highest um, and you know how do we improve or trim the fat? Well, like. The Washington Wizards, the Chicago Bulls are two of the teams that I'm covering right now, and the questions are almost always about Zion. Almost always the questions I get are, what do you think about John Morant? What do you think about Zion? What do you think about R.J. Barrett? And that's not fun. That's not good, I don't think, for the league, is that at April or March or January or February that they've already checked out and they want their team. They're actively rooting. Like the bird rights at at SB Nation, like every night – the Pelicans' like top blog is tweeting out Tankathon. Like that's 
it's it, I don't think that's a good look for the league. And I think uh, trimming the schedule would do some good on that, uh, so that every regular season game has more merit, uh, has more weight. Um, you would have well, beyond, beyond that, you would also have it where teams would get eliminated later in the season. Which, so right. that so that could, that would be a really important thing, you know. And it's it's about percentage. So if teams get knocked out with with twenty five percent of the season left, well, then that's a lot of time to change change gears and do all that kind of stuff. If you get and this is part of the argument for the NFL, if you get eliminated with ten percent left in the season, there's a lot less that you can do that is like destructive to competitive balance. Now, will teams theoretically in that circumstance? tank more aggressively in that 10%? Yes, absolutely, unequivocally, they will. But it's only 10%, so that's a little bit better. Yeah, and man, uh, I I was just, uh, I was thinking about this earlier when we were talking about uh, autonomy and, and, you know, how things can change very quickly. Um, You know, last week I did a a sit down with Chris Bosch and they just did his, his jersey retirement ceremony. And it's amazing to think about, um, you know, how quickly the NBA can change for players and for organizations and seeing what the Miami Heat are now. Um, and and when I sat down with Chris Bosh, it was – and you can listen to this on the Haber Show uh, podcast. Download it wherever you get your po- your podcast. Um, he said – I should be a free agency free agent this summer. Like he's thought about for years, I'm going to be in the class of 2019. Um, and how that one, when he said that, that kind of just, that really hit me was that, you know, these guys look forward to free agency, look forward to the autonomy. Not that he wanted to leave Miami, but it was these moments. And I think Kyrie, why he's walked back what he said is because he, I don't think he's ever been a free agent. Like he was drafted by Cleveland. He could have signed an, ex- signed an extension on midnight July 1st. <laughs> yeah, uh, midnight July 1st. And then he got traded to Boston. And now for the first time in his career, I mean, since what? He was 17 out of Elizabeth, New Jersey, that he's been able to decide what he wants to do or, or work. Um, and that's for most Americans, for most human beings – that's a liberty that we get to enjoy just being a human being. I get to decide where I'm going to work. Like I'm going to talk it over with my wife, talking over with my family, talking over with my friends, and this is where I want to go. Um, and for a lot of NBA players, uh, they don't get that opportunity. And for Chris Bosh, he got that opportunity and was vilified for it. And you know, I, I think a lot of fans might not be cool with this idea that, that – as he called it, athletes with brains, um, you know, this is the new normal. And with social media, with 24 seven, um, Twitter, with, uh, Instagram, how you have direct access to these players. I think the NBA is becoming more player focused rather than team focused, like in the NFL. Uh, and I think this is just only going to get louder is, you know, Greg Popovich started the DMP rest movement, uh, to make sure that their players were healthy and direct violation of the the kind of tacit agreement you have with your fan base is that every game you're going to go see Tim Duncan or or LaMarcus Aldridge Um, but you know what like if it doesn't make sense they're not going to do it and I think they're learning more and more now that the NBA season is too long uh, and that most of these good teams just want to play just well enough so that they don't get hurt and that's what you're seeing with a lot of these teams either resting their guys in four quarters or resting them all together. Absolutely. And I think that's a great distillation of it. Still more to talk about with Tom Haverstrow, but first a message from Yahoo Daily Fantasy. 
Yahoo Daily Fantasy is going big this year. Still plenty of time to get in on the NBA action. Baseball is just starting up and golf is in full swing, so it is the perfect time to start playing Yahoo Daily Fantasy. If you've never played Daily Fantasy before, Yahoo has you covered. Unlike the other sites that let users enter 150 different lineups in their biggest contest, Yahoo has a 10-entry maximum. That means better chances for you to win the big contest. You can also try out their daily no-management-fee contest. That refers to the amount of money that the site takes to run the contest. So... When you have a contest with no management fee, you'll have fewer entries with the same amount of prizes, which is awesome. And what you should do is you sign up today. You can go to yahoo.com slash daily fantasy, or you can download the Yahoo Fantasy app. Either way, you get $25 in free play when you make your first deposit using the promo code POD25. That's P-O-D-2-5. Tells them you came from us, and you also get that $25. And since the minimum deposit is only 5 bucks, it's pretty awesome. So again, the promo code POD25. Go to yahoo.com slash daily fantasy or download the Yahoo Fantasy app. Also have a message from TrueCar. Every car comes with its share of stories. That ding in your bumper when you nervously picked up a first date, the luxury package you got after a big promotion, or the mileage you saved by riding your bike all summer. While you cannot put a price tag on your stories, now with TrueCar, you can at least find out what your car is worth when it's time to sell or trade it in. Just go to TrueCar, simply enter your license plate number, and watch how your car's details pop up. Then answer a few questions. Navigation and moonroof? Watch as they bump up your value. High mileage? You already knew it was going to cost you, but now you know how much it dings your wallet so you can plan ahead. Once you are finished, you will get a true cash offer sent in minutes, which you can take to a local certified dealer to cash out or trade in. So when you are ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car, check out TrueCar today. True cash offer, not available in all states. Something else I, you mentioned that you wanted to talk about was I'm discussing, you know, whether it's MVP or best player in the league. This is such a fascinating year and such a fascinating time for those distinctions, not only because for me, this is another year, and this has been true for me the last two previous, where at least one of the MVP candidates was not among my like best of the best players in the league. And this ties in some some with the rest and also health and everything else. But it, I, I, it's such a it's such an interesting discussion of like, not only who the best players are in the league, but who is the most valuable player in the league. Yeah, I I tweeted out this morning. I was curious what people felt like was the in a sentence the reason why Giannis should be MVP or why James Harden should be the MVP. Like what is the 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 trump card? Uh no pun intended. What is the trump card for for James Harden in this conversation? And for James Harden, there was 2000 people that voted. Uh I gave four possible reasons why he's the MVP. 36 points per game, historic score. Was that it? Or was it carried Rockets to 50 wins? Or was it best offense and underrated defense? Or was it just the narrative, the story of the season? When I look back at that 2019 season, what am I going to think about? Um, Is it going to be James Harden? And for a lot of people, it was that. But the trump card for James Harden is that... 36 points per game. Like, come on. Like, how how are we going to argue against? The guy is averaging eight points more than the next highest guy. He's lapping the field in points per game. Of course he's the MVP. 57% of voters said that's the reason why he should be MVP. Um, secondly, that he carried the Rockets, quote-unquote, to 50 wins. Um, that was 25% of people. And 10% just said story of the season. But Giannis, I think the fascinating thing about Giannis, Danny, is in contrast 
to James Harden. It's not on his own. Like I don't think I don't think people are arguing Giannis is MVP because he plays MVP level on both ends in a vacuum. I think in contrast to James Harden, because so much of his value is disproportionately on one end of the floor, I think that's been the the biggest uh, argument for Giannis is that, hey, he's elite on defense too, and that's why he should be MVP. So I listened to your podcast a few days ago, earlier this month, talking about ranking your MVP uh, with, with Nate. And it's so funny, you mentioned in those conversations, doing the research, how you had flipped several times, Paul George was number one, then it was James Harden, then it was Giannis. And I now, Paul George has kind of fallen off a bit here in, in March, but um, I think for me right now, I think Giannis is the MVP in my book. I don't have a vote this year, but I think when you look statistically, I did a ch- kitchen sink, 10 all-in-one metrics just to see the different flavors of like where Giannis would rank and pretty much unanimously forget about the wins on the score on the standings that that best player on the best team throw that out statistically he is top three in all 10 of the metrics I looked at all 10 he was top three whether it was RPM RPM wins whether it's PIPM whether it's PER whether it's wind shares VORP BPM the alphabet soup all point to pretty much unanimously he is its top three in each category there is nothing that says yeah he's not as good as we thought but Harden he is uh, an average of 3.4 in those metrics. He has in PIPM, he's 10th. In PIPM wins added, he's 5th. Uh, win shares per 48, he's, four, um, he's fourth. It is a clear tier one, James Harden and Giannis, but Giannis as an average, 1.7 ranking in the 10 metrics. So I think if you're looking at a statistical argument, forget about the narrative, forget about the standings. Giannis right now to me, statistically, the metrics are pointing to him. What I like a lot about the discussion this year is that it gets at a more nuanced point that is that is hard to discuss and that I think it, it's it's clarifying for me and I like that you went with that idea of like the single sentence thing for what people what people think is important. And so here 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 I'll start with with Harden for for a specific reason. And that is the argument for Harden is that he is the single most impactful offensive player for his team, not only in the league this year, but one of the single most impactful offensive players for his team in NBA history. And they are a great offense. They are a great offense with him. It is James Harden-based, though they have plenty of other good players. It is Harden-based. So then, to me, if you take that as a given, and I think it's hard to argue against that, unless you want to talk about the historical element of it, but if we're talking about for this year... Well, I mean, I I do want to talk about that a little bit, because I did look into, on NBA.com, you can do the splits, where when Chris Paul is on the floor and James Harden is not, sure. um, what do the Rockets do? Yeah, that's fair. In 659 minutes, the Rockets are plus 109, or plus 7.9 per 48 minutes. I was like, aha! James Harden is not the entirety of the offense. It turns out when you have an all-time great point guard on the floor and some good shooters and Click Capella, you can have a pretty solid team and a good offense. But then, Danny, I looked at in the 824 minutes with Chris Middleton on the court and Giannis off, what do the Bucks do? They're even better they than are. that, that Hardenless Rockets team. So the Giannisless, it's hard to say, it's the Giannisless, uh, um, uh, Bucks team with Chris Middleton, so their other star, quote unquote, uh, they're outscoring opponents by 12.9 points per 48. Now that is not cleaning the glass. That is not 
eliminating garbage time. But I, I do want to point this out because in the conversation about James Harden, it's that he carried them, that he is the most impactful, and that is true that he's the most impactful. But I do think we might be overselling the idea that without Giannis Antetokounmpo, this Bucks team is is n- not a good team. I think, yes, he is awesome. Uh, and what he does for them, uh, you know, like what Coach Buddenholzer does, and we talked about on, on our podcast at, at NBC, it's like he's amazing. And a lot of the offense and defense is built around him. But I still think that we kind of oversimplify this sometimes and say, like, the Rockets would be trash without James Harden. And he carried them. It was an impressive stretch when Chris Paul was out and Clint Capella was out. But I think we might be overstepping ourselves a little bit. I'm guilty of it, too. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And also, what you just said is why Budenholzer is the coach of the year. I mean, the fact that they've been as good as they have. Like, if you look at, there's a lineup that was, it's it's their, I mean, now Brogdon's hurt and other guys. But it's I think it's Bledsoe, Brogdon, Middleton, Arison Ilyasova, and Brooke Lopez. That lineup is something crazy, like, plus eight, plus, like, eight or 11 something net rating i haven't looked at it recently <laughs> but so so i talked about the hardened argument the hardened argument is you know most impactful offensive player they're a great offense when he's on the floor and and also there's some interesting things in terms of when when chris and harden play together and then when paul is by himself and that's that's some of the on off stuff gets into that but then the argument for Giannis, and this is the argument that is persuasive to me at this moment i haven't done all my digging i still have a lot to do is the is this I would argue that offense is more important than defense, especially in the regular season. But is the margin between what James Harden does and what Giannis does offensively? Giannis is an immensely important part of what Milwaukee does offensively. Yep. That the margin there, the the difference of the difference between that and then what they do defensively, where Giannis is not the defensive player of the year, but a definite candidate, someone who can be in the conversation, an important part of one of the league's best defenses, and Harden, who is beyond a negative, he is somebody that is negative enough that the Rockets have to scheme around his limitations. That So the argument there would be, yes, there is a different, Harden is a better offensive player, he's a more important op- offensive player, but Giannis is somewhat close. Now, not, not, it's not arguable, but it's, it's close. And then the difference on defense is vast. And so even if you mm. argue offense is more important than defense, the different, the margin is still larger. And so that's why Giannis is the MVP. And I'm, I'm persuaded by that overall as of this moment in time. Right. And the most important, the most valuable shot in the game is probably a dunk. If you can get a dunk, um, that's, that's about as, as good as you can get, right? Like, an open three might be close. Giannis is really good at that offensive talent, is is getting a dunk, right? He's got the most unassisted dunks, I think, in NBA history since they've been tracking it. Um, and James Harden is really good at creating an open three. And that's what's really amazing is that you have Giannis offensively has this superhuman talent of get, putting the ball in the hoop with his hands. And then James Harden has this superhuman talent of creating a good look off a three-pointer without needing a setup pass or without needing a driving kick, which is so hard. The step-back three, he's he's created an open three. Um, and the other thing that he creates, and I don't think people talk about this enough, by doing the step-back three, he's, he's creating an imbalance of the defender that they have to jump into him to contest, and that creates a foul opportunity. So not only is he getting an open three or at least getting a three-point shot off, he's raising the level of uh, four-point plays and three-shot fouls. And I think uh, both of those guys ha- have like hacked an offensive system, and it's really cool to watch. Um, and defensively, Harden has improved. 
everyone's talked about the deflections. Um, I've talked about the, um, you know, his steals and all that stuff. He, I think if we had gambles, like uh, bad gambles or bad bets where he's swiping at a defender and he, and he blows by, I think that would be interesting to look at. Because if we do honestly, if we're trying to be genuine about it and saying Harden is number one or two in steals, number one or two in deflections, therefore he's much better defensively than, than we give him credit for um, conventionally. But then why are they not a good defensive team? Like if we really believe that steals and deflections are super valuable, then why aren't they better defensively if he's so great at it? And I think a lot of it is, well, there are a lot of times where he, he's gambling like Allen Iverson did back um, when he was playing and it, and it hurt the defense more often than not. So in sum, uh, I think I still have Giannis um, and the the thing that closes the gap more than anything in that debate is James Harden's minutes. I think he's got, what, like 400 more minutes or something close to that than Giannis. And I think that, uh, while it's not the sexiest thing to talk about, I think his availability and what he's been for the Rockets uh, should be talked about more. Right. And that's value. You know, if you play an extra 400 minutes, that's 400 minutes that you don't have to play your backups. And you, if you are as as great as these two players are, then you're bringing a lot there. And yeah, I absolutely think so. And the last time I did MVP rankings, they were close in minutes. So Giannis missing some time, Harden playing these ridiculous workloads. Yeah, that stuff all fits together. It's it's such a fascinating discussion. And it's also weird. We talked about, you know, the, the unreliability sometimes of late March, early April basketball that for certain voters, neither of us has a vote this year. This time is, is going it? to matter a lot. You know, <laughs> yeah. like it is crazy yeah. that it, that something that will matter for legacies when a lot of this context will be stripped away over time. I've argued this with all NBA and with MVP before that this stuff is going to matter a lot. You know, if you face a team and their three best players are out or whatever, however, this is going to work. And Years from now, we'll know who won the MVP, but we will not remember necessarily that it, that they did it playing against teams that half their guys were resting, whether it was discretionary or not. Right, right. We we might get better at it in terms of the metrics that are available to us. So I think in the future we might have metrics that will be able to pick up on competition level, and we're we're starting to get get there. Right, is like minutes against opposing starters. Um, you know, I wrote a garbage time analysis. Uh, piece the other day where it was looking at which players do better in garbage time, quote unquote, than in like when the game is close. And interestingly enough, Clay Thompson uh, saw the biggest change in his scoring rate, depending on the scoreboard. Um, I, I I would love if we had like 30 minutes to talk about that is like why you think Clay Thompson might have the biggest, um, you know, swing in his scoring rate, depending on the competition. Like if it's a 20 point game versus a two point game, um, but I think we're getting there, Danny, is we're going to be able to parse the NBA game so much more in the future and be able to say like James, like 47% of James Harden's minutes were without another star on the floor and he his team did X. Um, Giannis Antetokounmpo, when he played for 36 minute, 36% of his minutes, he had Chris Middleton next to him. Uh, we, we're going to be able to make those uh, estimations a lot better just with the proliferation of data. Um, and it'll help inform us in the MVP conversation. And I, and I, I don't want to get too ideological when it comes to like, hey, you should vote for James Harden because if you don't, you don't appreciate what James Harden did when those guys were injured. It's not that. It's just, man, we got a dude who's like seven feet tall who protects the rim, who can dunk, who's uh, leading the league in transition points. 
uh, and who's just plays hard every time out. Like that is, that is a really great basketball player. And it just stinks that you have to pick one. And in history, you know, we will remember the MVP, but the runner up in MVP doesn't get like nearly as much recognition as they probably deserve. They get all NBA, but, um, you know, there isn't like a silver trophy that we give them. I don't know if that would make a difference, but man, the MVP, when we talk about Dwayne Wade and the fact he doesn't have an MVP, like that matters in the conversation with Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan and the best two guards. You know, the fact that, um, you know, Giannis Antetokounmpo might get his first MVP year. I do think that bit, the fact that James Harden already has one, I do think that fits in this conversation too. I can imagine James Harden's teammate nodding glumly in agreement that the runner-up for MVP doesn't get remembered the same way. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it happens, yes. and then you get into all the stuff, I mean, in terms of voting of, well, Kobe got screwed years before, so then he they wanted to give him one while he was still relevant, and then that cost Chris Paul, who's never going to probably get his own. All those sorts of things are, are there as well. And yeah, I mean, the context, the, the legacy stuff is, is very... It, it is it is important, and even though there aren't like tiers of the Hall of Fame or anything like that, it, it, there are discussions about who the best player ever is, and things like MVPs or Finals MVPs, whether given properly or mistakenly, are another part of this. And so you get into all these these crazy circumstances. And and I wanted to to mention briefly one thing you brought up that that I want to spend more time on, and it's the effect that a player has, and this is more offensively, but you could see it defensively too, if we can get better defensive metrics, which is going to take a long time, is the effect that a player has on the quality of shots that his teammates get. So, you know, I've, I've covered the Warriors closely, I watched the entire league, I've seen this with Steph Curry for years, that it's not just, okay, Steph Curry do, does, you know, he gets these crazy threes, We've you and I have talked about that on this podcast before, but the when anecdotally, but also from when I've looked at the numbers, the quality of shots that his teammates are getting is markedly different when Curry is on the floor and not. And like, you can see this with Harden and Clint Capella. You can see this with all sorts of guys around the league. And that's another part of value is, yeah, it's great if you're you putting make your up, teammates better. Yeah. If you make your teammates better, if you make life easier, if instead of getting contested twos, they're getting layups and dunks, that's huge. And a lot of times those impacts are not felt by the box score metrics. It might, you know, maybe, maybe you got a hockey assist. Maybe you, maybe you just were coming off a screen and two guys looked at you and then somebody cuts to the basket. Like, yeah. All those sorts of things. And I'm excited for the not only the brain power because there are a lot of brilliant people and the computing power because we have a lot more of that now, but also the idea that there is an incentive here, not only for for evaluation on our perspective, but from the team perspective, because any sort of competitive advantage that you can get in terms of analyzing which players actually help and help their teams more or in many cases less than people think those sorts of things are extremely important in terms of how much you offer players in free agency who you draft and eventually many of those philosophies and tools filter their way down to people like us yeah and i want to give a shout out to pbpstats.com um, if you do not use that resource, it is really fun. You got to nerd out for like a good half hour before you get your 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 sea legs there. But um, there's I'm not, not totally sure how they and maybe you know the answer how they get this metric, but it's shot quality. And you can see when the Warriors are playing, when Steph Curry is on the floor, what the shot quality percentage is like what the average I guess I'm guessing it's the effective field goal percentage uh the quality of that shot when that player is on the floor and for Steph Curry it's a huge jump when he's on the floor the teammates uh 
51.9%. And when he's off the floor, it drops to 49.1%. That doesn't seem like a huge jump, but when you compare it to other players, Giannis has a 0.01% uh, bump, and then Harden has a 0.02, uh, and Steph Curry has a 0.03 or a 30% bump. So like you're seeing we're getting there Danny is that you can see the shot quality for teammates when a player's on the floor you can just look at like hey when I watch you know that Steph Curry is playing versus when he is not who's who tends to play really well um and that sort of stuff will tease out in the data so much better in the future I'm looking forward to that and we're getting close to it we're getting there and I think um you know the discussion around Giannis and I'll just say it now, the discussion around Giannis and James Harden, it might seem like we're trashing one of the two candidates or we're hating on the two candidates. We're nitpicking at this point. It is so close. Like I said, the race in statistically, you know, James Harden has like one or two blemishes on his all-in-one metrics, you know, kitchen sink dashboard. Giannis is top three in every one of the 10 and Harden is top three in every single one except for three. And you just can't even say the same for for or much else. I mean, Paul George, his on off court numbers are crazy. That's why I think he's a legitimate contender, as you've talked as if you talked about. Um, but no one, no one really comes close statistically. And just if you're watching basketball, Harden and Giannis changed the game in so many ways. Uh, it is weird that we have come to this point and we haven't talked about LeBron James's MVP candidacy, but that's where we are in today's NBA. Harden and Giannis and Paul George and Nikola Jokic and Dame Lillard. It's really cool that we're able to talk about these players and not just about LeBron. I think the NBA is in good hands, even though we harp on the DMP wrestling stuff. It's in great hands. Uh, I'm guessing we're done here, but is there anything else that you want to bring up? It can be either something that you want to promote or just something, hey, like we can have a one-minute conversation about X. Uh, what happened to Christian Wood? Why does why does no one like this guy? <laughs> I don't know. I've been wondering about this as well. Like, I, I've heard before from people who are more on the source side of reporting that usually when somebody bounces around or gets less money that there's something off the court. But I think Christian Wood's a, a very intriguing, capable basketball player. Like, I would have argued there were, I probably, I didn't run through the numbers on this, that like 15 teams should have claimed him off waivers. Yeah. That, that would be about what my, about in my head where that amount would be. What, what happened? Like, all right, so I'm guessing the same thing. Like, I asked around and, um, a couple GM types were like, yeah, you know, there's some, uh, you know, it's not just all about stats and it might be about chemistry with teammates or off court stuff. Like, don't believe in all the numbers when it comes to him. Like, that's it. You know, there's more to this equation, right? Because he's the, he has the all time best, and this is a great stat the all time best PER in the G League. He's the G League all time career leader in player efficiency rating. His numbers are off the charts, and I'm just sitting here like, this guy obviously doesn't belong here. Like, he is not a G League player. He shouldn't be in the G League anymore. This guy is killing people. And then uh, the Bucks. Uh, sign him and he he's buried on the bench with the Bucks and then they wave him to I think it was to bring in Powell um, and then he now has an opportunity with New Orleans and how often do you see a guy just coming off it's like the Lynn Sanity thing he came off the the bench basically out of nowhere and has 21 points nine rebounds six blocks four steals in like 30 minutes and like the numbers were crazy for this guy in the G League I'm wondering how did how did like 15 teams miss out on this guy it's a great question. I, I hope I hope I hope for Christian Wood that he gets the opportunity to play a lot next year. It is fascinating that he ended up on a team not only that has so much roster uncertainty, but also has another talented center that 
is has a weird has, has a flex team flexible contract let's call it for next year so yeah i'm really looking forward to that thank you so much for taking time it's been an absolute pleasure thanks for having me danny and uh we'll talk soon Thanks again to Tom Haberstroh for taking the time to come on. You can read his work at NBCSports.com. You can see him on the NBC Sports broadcasts if you are watching one of their affiliates on either if you're a local, which is great, or if you are watching on League Pass, which is how I run into him all the time. He also hosts the Haber Show podcast, and you can follow him on Twitter at Tom Haberstroh, T-O-M-H-A-B-E-R-S-T-R-O-H. And love talking with Tom. It was a good time of year to do it also because we can look at some big picture stuff and some small picture stuff, which is a good combination with him in particular. So happy we got got to do that. Really fun time in terms of the league. There is this weird stuff about unpredictability for those who remember. And a couple people have referenced this recently that Matt Moore and I talked about that on the most recent Tears podcast about how hard it can be to use March to evaluate players and teams and everything else. And that's all still true. 100% still true. Not exactly sure where the show will go next week, but if you want to support the show, there are a lot of different ways that you can do it. You can leave a rating, leave a review in the podcast player of your choosing. It is great if it's Apple Podcasts. They're still really big in our business in terms of metrics, but you can do it wherever you listen if it's somewhere different. Or if you want to be super awesome, you can leave reviews in multiple places. It really does help us out. Also, subscribing, downloading every episode are extremely important because that's how people find the show, just like word of mouth. So you can get in the habit of it. Show comes out at different times every week, but it comes out every week. So you can do that. Also, single most important thing for this show and any other one that has them is to check out our sponsors, betonline.ag. Use that podcast one promo code for a 50% welcome bonus. CBS Sports HQ doing some great work around the NCAA tournament. You can check that out on your on your phone, on your on your computer, on your mobile device, all sorts of different ways you can do that. It's really cool. Yahoo Daily Fantasy, yahoo.com slash daily fantasy, or download the Yahoo Fantasy app and use that pod25 promo code for $25 in free play when you make your first deposit. And True Car, great place to buy or sell or trade in your car. You can do all that stuff with them. If you want more of the kind of day-by-day analysis, you can listen to the podcast on Dunked On that I do with Nate Duncan, and you can watch the NBA cast. We're going to be back on Monday. We'll be doing... We've been calling it crunch time. It's our red zone equivalent, so we're not going to be wedded to a single game. We're going to be bouncing around a little bit. We try to keep it reasonable, but you can do that, and you can watch the show now not only on Periscope, which of course you're welcome to do, but also on Twitch and on YouTube. And YouTube is very useful for especially international people because YouTube has a functioning pause button. So if we are ahead of you, we put the time of the score of the game, you can sync up with us and it's a lot easier that way. Now, if you are ahead of us, it's still complicated, but we'll get into that. Nate and I are also doing a Patreon mailbag in the next couple of days, patreon.com slash Duncan Waru there. My written work is overwhelmingly at The Athletic. Just wrote a Kemba Walker piece, which actually in an early version of this podcast, Tom and I were going to talk about, but then we got on to so many other things. And my off-season preview series is going to start soon. Have a bunch of Warrior stuff as usual as well. So you can check all of that out. As always, if you have any feedback on the show, good, bad, or indifferent, NBA at gmail.com is the way to do so. I really do appreciate it. I read everything. It goes to a separate place in my inbox. I read it all. I'm not the best at replying, but if you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. And that is why hopefully your writing is so that I will read it and I will internalize it and incorporate it into everything else. And got some wonderful feedback from the mascot bracket, which is something I absolutely love doing with my sister. And I always do appreciate that. And I send the feedback to her and and she enjoys that as well. Just how much, how much people get out of it is, is, is fun. And to do something really, really different is, is great. So 
Not sure when I'll be back next week. That, as I'm thinking about it right now, will probably be the last episode of the regular season. So try to figure out exactly what I want to do there. And then we start to get into playoffs. And I'm going to try to keep Real GM Radio a little bit separated from Dunked On in terms of playoff stuff, just because the game-by-game stuff is going to be there. And I don't want to duplicate, not only to keep things intellectually interesting for me, but for everybody else. You know, it's value-added. That's sort of an idea. We talked about MVP. Might as well bring it up here, too. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day. Thank you.